Welcome to the Anthro to UX podcast, where you will learn how to break into UX with an anthropology degree. Through conversations with leading anthropologists working in user experience, you will learn firsthand how others made the transition, what they learned along the way, and what they would do differently. We will be discussing what it means to do UX research from a practical perspective and what you need to do to prepare a resume and portfolio. I'm your host, Matt Arts, a business anthropologist specializing in design anthropology and working at the intersection of product management, user experience, and business strategy. Let's get started. All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. This is Matt Arts of Anthro to UX. I'm here today with Bo Wong. Bo is a uh, user experience researcher at Best Buy, eight months in. And so today, given like the um, the freshness of the role, if you will, we'll be talking a little bit more about how, you know, the sort of immediate process of coming into that role, what that was like coming out of, uh, you know, out of academia, talk a little bit maybe about the challenges, the opportunities, the lessons learned, et cetera. And um, for, to give a little background on Bo, so uh, postdoc from University of uh, Lausanne in Switzerland, PhD from um, University of Wisconsin-Madison, MA in anthropology as well from King, Peking University in China, and a BA in sociology from Nanjing University in China. So we'll kind of, you know, of course, talk a little bit about that as well. And so, Bo, to start it off, you maybe want to give, um, tell us all a little bit about your background, how you came to anthropology, and specifically in this case, since you started in sociology, what maybe made you make the switch? Um, yeah, of course. Thanks, Matt. Um, first of all, thank you, Matt, to um, include me and invite me um, to this uh, discussion. I'm really happy to share my recent experience uh, transitioning from anthropology to uh, the UX world. So for me, I was trained as a sociology student, and then I took interest in anthropology because I'm really attracted by the um, idea that to explore uh, human experiences with a very open-minded um, uh, approach. So I really love that. So um, the ability to use storytelling and to show uh, the depth of meaning by conversations, by understanding why people do what they do. So this really got me into anthropology. So I just uh, went on and then even um, finished my PhD uh, doing research trying to figure out why um, Tibetan villagers and think of solid waste management different from other people. So, yeah, it has been very rewarding experiences, um, but it's only recently, like after uh, postdoc, so thinking about uh, where to um, live, you know, in the long term. So it's, I think it's a question a lot of people are uh, dealing with, not to trivialize, this is a, um, a real concern for many people, uh, especially in academia, uh, current um, um, you know, climate. So I think um, it's a good choice for me. I really am happy w- with the career transition. I'm still in the middle of it, you could say, um, but so far, so good, I would say. Great. Yeah, thanks for sharing. And, and so let's just go back a bit, though. Um, so, to, um, so you said you were in Tibet for your PhD. Did you say? Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, between that and your your postdoc, it didn't really look like you were too, you know, very much on the UX path. So, tell me a little bit about you know 
as I've asked some other people in the past, where in that academic journey did you really become aware of UX and, and how did that even happen for you? Um, yeah, I think it's it's really um, sort of a journey of self-discovery because like you said, it, on the surface, it doesn't look um, fair, you know, fairly remotely connected. However, underneath, I see a lot of connections. Um, now, you know, recalling my initial entrance to the fieldwork in the Tibetan village, I actually started with a design firm. So uh, as I was entering the village, I'm trying to learn about the waste management. And I got the opportunity to be working together with this local culture experts. And then he was consulting for this environmental art design firm. So I just tagged along. I didn't know like the point of um, having this, but I appreciate, like all the anthropology students, we appreciate any opportunity that is open to us, uh, help us to establish rapport with the locals. So just tagged along. And then I realized they were doing um, signage design, you know, like signage that introduces this um, village, uh, the stories, and then to educate people about um, waste management. Mm -hmm. So I thought, oh, this is a good opportunity to learn. And then I worked with a team. They had a director, they had a writers, they had a, mm, people with a GPS with more like hardcore stuff and then have people who interview and write story sketches. So I think it just naturally I uh, we hang out together. I learn how they work and they also curious about why are you here? Like what you think seems like you are also collecting stories. What's different from you and our content um, you know, writer. So I, I think at that moment I didn't understand to be honest, but you know, as we were working very closely, but then when we reached the village, actually, I, I was the only one who um, talked to the villagers and asking about their stories. And I realized, you know, the villagers were not really um, enthusiastic about this project as I would have imagined. So I realized like the, this is the um, kind of marginal perspective as anthropologist, I'm able to connect right away. So I just uh, went to talk to them. So eventually, like my um, uh, experience with the villagers had a feedback to the company, and then they actually took some of villagers' perspective, put that at the center of their design. So I think um, it happened to me like so naturally. I feel like as anthropologists are just curious and we just keep an open mind to um, what people say and think and do. So I think this is, um, you know, such a natural transition for me to continue to do the same thing uh, just in a new setting that is the corporate setting. Mm -hmm. So out of curiosity, you said the content writer wasn't really speaking, you know, with the local Tibetans. So who, who were they talking to or how were they capturing their stories? So the content writer at that moment, uh, she was um, primarily focusing on interviewing this culture expert, so, which was my first point of contact as well, to be honest. Um, I think because the story, the culture expert was able to offer 
sounds so fascinating and so um you know holistic and very authoritative and then it sounds like it's just this story but you know if you think about it not everyone coming to a um village for tourism are interested in learning the similar story you know over over again so they want to be more like open to what's special about this place so i think um, the expert who's trained in fol folklore and you know was able to tell a story that may not have a local roots. So I think that's why um, it may be you know less of interesting to tourists, and then it's harder to pass on the message uh, to tourists. I think that's the decision you know of talking to uh, villagers was really like because I had this observation that the villagers were not part of the story at all. So then they, they didn't know like what this work was about, even though since their life is deeply impacted, and then they are the ones who are interacting with tourists. And so you said that they also weren't that interested in the project as a whole. And so did you, you know, did you help them maybe understand it from, you know, from one perspective and also help the design team understand it from another? Did you, you know, did you act as some kind of bridge, you know, in, in, in an effective way? Or uh, I know you said that some of the stories of the villagers were incorporated into the design team after you were involved, but do you think you helped sort of bridge the gap and make them come to a better understanding of each other's sort of interests? Oh yeah, of course. So um, at this time, I think the, company was actually based in Kuiming, the capital city of the province, Yunnan province. So they were came, um, came in, coming down to do a field research, kind of to um, collect more ev evidence and materials to actually uh, compete on a bid that is uh, offered by the government, so it's quite a big, big one. And this company was previous to this, they were focusing on the urban environmental design. So this is the new kind of area of business they are working on, on the rural area. So I think my ability to kind of build the two perspectives and put them together really had a strong case because, you know, they add a lot of local sensitivities to their business proposal and to their design as well. So this really went over, um, you know, helped them to win this bid. And then it was kind of eventually helped the company to build this successful case and the capacity to do similar eco village uh, synergy design in other area um, of the province, even beyond. So I think it was kind of a very uh, instrumental, like the, the role I played and mm -hmm. to help, help uh, in part to help the company to build this new capacity. And now that's not, you know, all that different than the work we have to do in, you know, in UX in that we have various stakeholders often with very different perspectives, speaking oftentimes very different languages, and we have to, you know, help sort of mediate that. And so, um, you know, did you learn any particular lessons in that, that you would like to share and maybe that you've brought forward into your UX work today? Yes, definitely. I think um, the the reason, like I just uh, like started doing the work that I do, I think it's really to be empathetic to people I talk to, and then trying to understand 
uh, where they come from and why they think um, something is what they need. So this is very important because oftentimes, and our partners, stakeholders may have um, assumptions, you know, like with ideas like, I have this product or service and it must be desired by people. So without, uh, there's a lot, many steps in between. So like desired by whom and um, for what reason? Uh, because people can use your product uh, out of the absolute necessity instead of uh, out of uh, passion, love. So, and when, uh, if it's the first case, when they have a, a new alternative, a better alternative, they will just jump off and then go to for the other one. So I think um, there's a lot of space in between. So I think the ability to be empathetic, to to hear, you know, uh, other perspective, it's very crucial. Uh, I guess for a lot of them, it's really not new skill for a lot of anthropology and social science um, um, PhD students. So it, it is basically what we've been learning and we, we are trying to um, do ethnography and trying to understand others and from their own, on their own terms. I think this is really valuable and a very effective communication as well to persuade our stakeholders to um, take our side and then to be, um, you know, along with us in the exploration. And, you know, so you're, I agree with you that that's something that we're, we're trained in and we learn, but there are also many things that we don't necessarily learn that we then have to do when we're out in not only the field, but also, you know, in our careers later. And I'd be curious when you were working side by side with the design team, you know, what struck you as, as interesting, you know, what, um, you know, not everybody gets to work side by side with a design team necessarily like during their, their field work. And so it's an interesting opportunity that I can see why it led you to UX, but it also had to be relatively eye-opening at that time because the disciplines are quite different, even though there's overlap, they're quite different. And, and there's a lot of skills from design that, you know, we can benefit from. And so, Anything particularly mm -hmm. strike you at that time that you really wanted to incorporate into your own practice? Yeah, definitely. I think it was totally eye-opening and learning opportunity for me as well. So as a starting anthropology, anthropologist in training, I was also anxious trying to gather data and trying to understand the whole idea. So I'm just focusing on a lot of observation. So I'm just uh, amazed by the team from the design firm, the ability to cr create things from scratch. And then I was amazed like by the person who just collecting GPS and whenever they found a good location for the signage to be erected later. So they would just record the GPS um, coordinations and data. So, and then there's uh, the artist, you know, who sketch uh, a possible design, you know, to be placed on this area. So to be able to mock up a design that later on will be used in their proposal. And then the um, content uh, writer, so she was like taking notes, you know, the, the, a lot of, and then there's also photographer who is taking, taking like professional photographer and then uh, photographer and then trying to construct the visuals, you know, to kind of make this uh, project from nothing to real. So, and then there's also the director who keeps talking with the um, 
with the culture experts, with the, the local guide. So trying to collect as much information as they can. So for me, like I was observing basically initially, I didn't do much. I was just like trying to understand what's going on. So like learning how they do and, you know, every day they each have their own goals and then they just uh, work um, along with each other. They talk during breaks, but then they work on their own role, specific role. And then, you know, at the night, they will just reflect what they have done. Like so far, they collect, go through what they uh, created or collected. So I think it was really eye-opening, like how quickly they can put things together. And it was also a, a thing that anthropology students think, you know, our field work takes a year and then theirs is like three days, <laughs> but they have a lot of uh, material to work with. So that's uh, the idea of timing, timeline or, you know, temporality was really um, shocking to me. Mm -hmm. And so, um you know, how have you, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but how have you done kind of getting up to speed at moving at that pace now that you're working at Best Buy in UX? Yeah, that's, thanks for that uh, question. That's something that I, it just keeps haunting me, like since I started. At first, I was actually tasked to do a large uh, cross-team um, project. So, you know, having anthropology uh, academic training in mind. So I just think, oh, this project might have, you know, maybe several months time in plan. So I ended up proposing a very large uh, framework. So, and then a lot of teams just jump on <laughs> this opportunity. They said, oh, we, we want, we have more asks. And then can you take that on as well? So I feel like that also has to do with acad academia. Usually um, you do not have a lot of the chance to say no to, um, you know, your stakeholder, which might be your advisor or committee members. So you just take in. So the, the result would be a, a bit kind of um, chaotic because I ended up with a huge um, framework and then presented to leadership, they were interested, but it's really hard to uh, execute this research. It's hard to operate. I, I, don't, I would imagine that re require an entire team to, to carry on with this project instead of uh, just myself. Um, so I think that helped me to kind of adjust, so adjust my own expectation for myself. So I try to think ahead of time, you know, before I started a project in the UX world and at the company, I would just think, you know, what is the timeline here? And, you know, uh, what is, how long um, do they need the uh, project to be delivered? So I think these are the, this is a learning um, journey, I would say. Uh, so there's definitely a learning curve. So I will, um, you know, gradually I will, get a catch on and then be able to, um, you know, uh, design research project that's appropriate in length and also in scale. So which helps me a lot. Yeah, that's definitely a big one that we all need to learn. Um, you know, especially, you know, those who haven't maybe worked, uh, previous to, uh, you know, in, 
in industry previous to you know coming out of an academic degree. Um, but there are, of course, other things as well. And so I'd be curious, like you know, even individual work versus group work is something that's a you know a little bit different. I mean, I think you can make an argument that in the field everybody's doing a bit of group work, even if it's not framed that way. But um, it is still group work in you know teamwork in an organization is still a little different. So besides you know the temporality and maybe a little bit of the sort of individual versus group dynamic what were the other big shockers for you that you know that you recently learned given given how all fresh this all is for you um i think like continue to the a point that i raised earlier in answering your question which is in academia like there are not many chances we get to say no but in industry like it's actually a lot like because it's a um kind of a setting that where you collaborate with so many others. And then especially in a lot of the UX world, professional world, like researchers are the rare resources. So you have to make a priority, like, you know, who do I uh, say yes and who do I say no? Mm -hmm. And then I think also you make this decision not just out of personal preference. You have to think about, you know, this decision has to be informed by the business priority and by the organization or, or at least by your team, research team's priority. So, and you're able to um, kind of combine several asks into one or um, being able to prioritize the one that would have uh, the most impact. So sometimes you do have pushback from people. They all think their work or their project is the most important. Mm -hmm. And then all the team, each team would think their function is the most important in the company. So in that case, I think a good way to think about this, you know, the way of work is that, um, you know, often we see like, you know, as researchers turning into UX, and then you have to think about all your stakeholders and what they need and what they want. But also I would like to add, you as researcher, you are also a stakeholder to their work because you are the stakeholder to their product work, to their design work. They have to consider your willingness to work or not. So I think this is a good a way to leverage, you know, like my research um, time is also very valuable and how I can help to um, fit in to your workflow and without, you know, compromising on my end as well. So there are times like I had to put down my foot and then to say like, hey, uh, stop just asking me um, always at the last minute to run a research for you. And if we are uh, going to work together, we are collaborate collaborators, we are equal. So I'm equally stakeholder to you as your stakeholder to me. So here's the process if you want to collaborate. And then here's how I do work. And then here, tell me how I can help you. And tell me how your work fits in my roadmap. You know, mm -hmm. I, I can tell you like how I can contribute to your roadmap as well. So I, I think this is not talked a lot uh, in the UX to, uh, in the academia to UX. I think we are just um, in a very um, initial stage. We tend to be compromising a lot, like the story I told earlier. So I was uh, taking on new work, 
without thinking about the timeline. So I think this is also crucial because sometimes you have to say no. You have to make sure your collaborator not um, taking advantage of your time and thinking about research is so, um, you know, you can research on everything and all the research always too late should be done yesterday. So, but the reality is that researchers are people too. So we have bandwidth, we have our own plans. So I, I think that's, that's a, a shock to me. Like I, I'm still learning um, to, to say no and to push back and to ask people, um, you know, like what, what is exactly you want to learn? You know, uh, when do you want it? And can this wait? Or things like this. I think it helps them to learn also uh, what's the best way they can benefit from research. Yeah. Yeah. Saying no is a, uh, it's a difficult thing to learn. And, you know, being able to focus in on only a few things is something that not all companies do well, even in the product world, right? There's a tendency to just want to keep adding features instead of really focus like, like Apple has, say. Um, and so, Aside from, you know, those, those items that we just talked about, when you were working side by side with the design firm, did you also learn anything about business that stuck out to you? Like general, other, you know, business skills, not design skills, not research skills, but just other aspects of actually doing business that is very different in, you know, in industry than it is in say academia. Yeah, I think business, um, it's different from academia. I'm still learning. I think I'm still a beginner in this world. Um, there's always an uneasy relationship between business and the product design, I would say. And of course, you know, business wanted outcome, wanted, you know, um, moving the needle. So it's usually meaning that to generate uh, financial gains or profits. Uh, However, the product is different. I think their goal is to have more features and, you know, if people like them and people use it more. And then sometimes, you know, it's the two has frictions and sometimes they work together. And then as researchers, you know, I'm also learning about this culture, like how they uh, awkwardly, you know, trying to negotiate with each other and how at times how one uh, tried over the other and other, in other times um, it's the opposite. So I think to me, uh, I didn't have, get a lot of chance to do official business training. Um, I did um, actively seeking, seek uh, opportunities in outside academia, academic job market. Uh, this started when I was in uh, my postdoc position in Lausanne uh, in Switzerland. So they have a good project that helps um, uh, PhDs and postdocs to uh, pursue non-academic career. So we had this coach, and then she has a PhD in anthropology from Chicago, and then she's from um, England, but then she lived, lived in Switzerland for long. So we really hit it off, and then she was doing workshops, training us to... Um, to, to turn our CVs to resumes and then to develop professional websites and then to seek um, opportunities to ha have this kind of short training to build up my, our cre credibility in the professional world. I think that's my exposure to this 
Uh, and I was able also to connect with my peers. There are people from Italy, France, from all over the world in the classroom, and they are not just social science, they are natural science, and they are also engineers in the room, um, biologists. They were all thinking about um, pursuing career, you know, usually in companies or governments. So I think this really helped me open up my mind and then just uh, pursue other possibilities. I think it, the result was was great. So I'm still learning the business skills and a job. So um, I was able to, because the company I work at is really, uh, you know, the part of it was really, um, I would say agile. So I was able to work alongside with um, business side, the people from the director level, you know, even higher. So we are making decisions together. So I, I was able to see how they think and how um, I would think and how my product partners would think and why people just uh, have different views and how they compromise, how they negotiate. So I think this is uh, this helps me. Like even though I support product primarily, um, but oftentimes the insights from my research findings are taken directly by the business team. So they're used right away in messaging, in mm -hmm. communication, other strategies. So which was, you would say like, it's not defined in my role, but I think, um, you know, the research can have as much impact as you can make it be. So I think that's why, um, yeah, I'm still learning. I think, um, it, sh it should be like, you know, more impactful than just uh, in a specific um, product area. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of companies are doing pathfinding research. I think, you know, to be honest, to me, I think it just sounds like decision making, but more reliant on research. It called pathfinding, basically um, projecting what the future would look like for the business for the company, for the technology, uh, for solutions as well. So I think researchers deserve to be the decision making table. And, you know, as a person, as a person who's been in that table, who is there and can observe how I can uh, contribute to the conversation, it, it's really helpful. Like for me, I wanted to do more. I want to you make, you know, evidence based research to have more impact in organization. Sure. So I definitely want to come back to that and maybe connect that to, you know, the strategy and, and, and whatnot. But the, just to go back real quick to the training that you had in Switzerland. So, you know, you mentioned, of course, you know, work on the CV, you know, convert that kind of like get that in like more resume format. Um, and that's sort of low hanging fruit. You also mentioned like a personal website, which, you know, maybe is a little bit, um, be a little bit more difficult than just the resume since not everybody has tech training um, but very doable these days and something that probably everybody should consider but what really stuck out at me and what you said there was uh, you said something about how to increase credibility and of course you know increasing credibility for practitioners in industry is very different than 
than it might be, you know, in academia. In academia, in many ways, it is about publishing. But, you know, lots of anthropologists and UX are going to work for people who really don't care about that. They might not have been academics themselves one day, you know, in any kind of formal sense. Uh, and so that might not even be of importance to them and something they, you know, in many cases, you're not even going to include on a resume. So what, uh, for everybody who's listening, who's in a similar position, what were you being trained in, you know, in, in, in how to go about increasing your credibility at that stage of your career? Yeah, thanks for that question, Matt. I think um, it really uh, in this training in Switzerland, really what struck me was that I had to shift my, you know, thinking. Previously, I was thinking like I'm doing a project that's so powerful and so meaningful. Uh, I would change a lot of things. So my priority was to describe how. Um, important the project was. So I usually do not get to talk to myself, like maybe until the third paragraph or something like that, uh, to just um, think, um, put it in that way. However, in trying to find industry uh, jobs, I think it's the opposite. It's the other way around. So you put yourself first. So you, you have to establish like you are a credible researcher, you you have done work, and then these these are the works you you've done, and then these are the um, change you brought about. So, like like I um, started to look back my research, like you know I've been doing the same thing. It's just a, a different way of framing. So you know instead of uh, like telling people I started my field work with you know, working alongside with a design firm, I, in academic setting, I would say like, okay, my project is about the uh, culture uh, between environment and, um, you know, the local uh, villages or something like that. So it's really uh, broad. So like, like, which kind of made me like very small and, you know, kind of the, you know, the project has to, go on and with or without me so i think the other way around you're saying that you know i have initiative i want to do things and then make changes so i think this is a really shock to many um, um, students who are you know finishing up or who are just in the middle of phd and they're thinking about it but then it's really hard to shift around because in the cycle of academic training so you are trained not to play up your own role you're trained to just uh, think about the broader field and think about what's the most important issue right now and then you get to um, what you do in a very minimum way so in thinking about my training like in, even in the proposal stage um, when the when I was asked you know, how do you do your research I think the most I can give is like I will start doing field work. You know, I haven't had many um, kind of narratives about how I actually do things. So, but of course we learn as we start. So like, um, I think that's actually a good thing. Um, but I think to to make make it very effective um, that you, you have value and then how you can show the value to the professional world, I think this this change of framing really helped me. 
Great. And thanks for sharing. It's definitely, definitely an interesting point. Um, and you're fortunate that you had that opportunity to take that course or that, that training, it sounds like. So, um, so you, you know, you're, you do this, you do your work in Tibet, work side by side with a design firm. You kind of get a little dialed into how anthropology could connect to that type of work. You're in Switzerland, you end up with this other training that kind of helps you reframe. And so, you know, you're, you're sort of now moving forward to industry, but there's still that question of when exactly do you learn that something called UX exists? Of course, everybody kind of stumbles across that in a different way. It's typically not in academic programs. Do you recall how you actually got dialed into the exact sort of you know industry that you're in? Yeah, of course. Um, I think for me, uh, it really helped that I was um, able to um, <clears throat> have a solid like circles of uh, friends of people who made the, the transition ahead of me, and then they come from anthropology, sociology, psychology backgrounds, and political science, and then they um, made the jump, and then a lot of them, I knew them from grad school, and even earlier, and others I knew from, um, you know, after I signed on LinkedIn, and then mm-hmm. including you, like, I listened to your talk, about the TED Talk about 23andMe. So I think a lot of these successful stories are inspiring to me and um, getting connected to people and then have like this 30 minutes um, chat. And it really gave me a, a window like to look into what the UX professional life was like. And also I was I was just reading nonstop about books, about websites, and then there's some tons of the, um, materials out there. And also there's training you can take, um, you know, career coach or you know, people who can give you specific um, guidance based on your uh, uh, scenario. So I think these are all very helpful, um, especially for people with academic training. I'm not super worried about the research profile uh, as long as you know how to reframe it how to make it accessible um, to make sure people understand so you are a very mature researcher you understand the ins and outs of research um, the other part i'm more worried about was you know, how how you break into this kind of a lot of terminology a lot of you could mm-hmm. say jargon in ux research so this takes some time um, but after that, it's basically practice, practice on your skills to uh, present, to uh, collaborate. You know, like I think these skills we already have somewhere buried in, under our skin. We just have to bring it out uh, through practice. A lot of times, you know, it's kind of um, um, weird to say, but I just uh, practice by attending a lot of interviews. <laughs> So I think that really helped. And also it's the confidence building process, you know, from initially um, hearing from nobody to um, gradually I was able to always pass first round and the second round mm-hmm. and then move further along and then I got offers. So I think this, this, these are really helpful. And also you find real world experience. I think to this is a tricky notion because um, for our researchers, we already have a lot of real-world experience. 
And what do you mean that we don't have real world experience? I'm saying that the real world experience is that sometimes you need to be exposed to what UX professionals are doing. So I, you know, kind of um, helped out my friends within their, you know, capabilities. And also I signed up for NGOs like uh, that helped to distribute um, COVID vaccine information to county level, um, you know, communities. So these are really cool, like a lot of volunteers. And then we work together to um, build websites, to build phone books, because a lot of in, um, areas in America, you know, the county government, they still use computer like in 1980s or it's, it's very old. So like to, to be able to work on these projects, you can see um, your work would bring change right immediately because you help to reach out to these people who otherwise cannot be reached, um, even though you have a very good COVID vaccine policy, right? So how, how they can be delivered to the, to the community, to the people. So I think this, this really helped me to understand, you know, what's, what's the point of doing UX research? Um, I think, yeah, all these kind of contribute together. As I'm sure everyone has their own unique path and you will find the ways that works best for you. Um, but similarly, I think these are some of the things that had worked for me. So I hope um, it could be um, helpful for you as well. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. No. I. You know. Certainly. Um, self-study, networking. You know. Um, volunteering, online courses. Those are frequently the things that come up. Um, and and career coaches and and obviously all of those help. Um, networking particularly can be a very big big benefit and it you were pretty active on linkedin um and so did you find anything you know specifically that helped you whether it was on linkedin or not but you know you you seem to be doing pretty good with networking so any any lessons learned there yeah definitely i think um be uh, just uh, in, like behave the way that you would in the real life so you would totally get people's uh, attention and they people would respect you and as long as you respect them so i usually for example in linkedin um um you know i'm not against to just uh, send people uh in you know request to connect um it's kind of it's very forceful but also it's kind of sometimes um uh, lack of context, like people don't know why you're sending this um, request. You know, in that case, sometimes if it's um, someone I'm interested in, their work, I could just use follow instead of uh, connect. But if I'm particularly interested, I can find a reason, particularly like, you know, I'm interested in this company or I'm, we are from a similar background. So I would just add a note describing that and then uh, send a uh, connect because I, th I would think that um, connect and talk would benefit. Um, you know, uh, I think these are some general tips, but overall, I think also be respectful of people's time. You know, like as most people on LinkedIn may be already uh, on a professional you know, time schedule, and then they um, just you can ask to book 30 minutes or things like that. Um, and 
even I'm surprised like a lot of people are willing to just help even without knowing a lot about me. So that's why I'm decided to give back the same way I help others when they reach out to me. Um, it's, it's, it's more often, it's kind of the norm in the professional world that I, this is what I learned. Um, from academia, it sounds like it's, it's more like stardom. It's like you, uh, you're chasing the big stars. You're just like, you wouldn't just network with anyone. But in the professional world, it's totally um, accepted, more accepted. It's the norm. And um, I, I think it, what's, what's surprising is that a lot of people actually offer me um, to do the mock interview, like to do like real time, like even I haven't met this person or talked to this person at all, but then they were saying like, I would just uh, call you like at uh, 2.30 and then you pick up the phone call, they would just say like, oh, hey, Bo, and we are this company, we're interested in you. And, and they would just ask questions. And it, was, it was the first time, you know, this had happened, but it was really helpful. It was so real and really helped when the actual interview happened mm -hmm. because it's as if I've done that before already. So and I talked about it, what worked, what didn't. So I think this really helped me uh, to see the value. And I started to do the same to people who asked me. And then they were really appreciated that, that this was offered to them. And I was happy to report back that uh, several people I helped and then they got jobs, you know. That's great. And, as UX researchers full time. So it was really uh, rewarding to me. And I, I really appreciate this kind of networking culture and then helping each other out. Yeah, it's a friendly industry for sure. And um, so thanks for sharing all that. Now, in terms of current job, so again, you know, UX researcher at Best Buy, I've been there eight months, so it's still fresh. But, um, you know, obviously, as you've indicated a few times today, you have some interest about what anthropologists. Uh, can contribute in business, you know, not just from a research perspective, but going a little bit beyond that, you know, you earlier said not just for product, but also to, you know, to business teams. So what do you see, you know, uh, and I appreciate that this might vary from organization to organization, but what do you, what do you think we can contribute that we're not maybe doing enough of today, you know, whether that's uh, to certain teams or, you know, by doing something specifically ourselves, what, what, where do you see the opportunities be? Yeah. Um, thanks for the question. I think, um, so in the ideal world, so all the, all the decision-making should involve levels of research, you know, even when it's impossible and trying to think about uh, with evidence, with uh, nuances, um, most of the time, people just ignore and skip this step. So you end up hurting yourself because you didn't do it. For example, if you're designing a product and then uh, you've already designed without any you know, research on what the users might want or need, you just follow. And then you have this design already and out there living in the world. And you may receive a lot of uh, you know, feedback, some positive, some negative, you don't know. And it's much messier in this way because then you have to change your um, products, right? So I'm not being a purist, but just saying to show you through these examples that um, you know, just going in bland and think about like, this may work, just making a bet 
and it's not always working. And then you end up doing extra work and then start over and then trying to study, okay, okay let's step back and to ask what people actually seek um, in this product. Is this, is this something we're aiming at the wrong direction? You know, for example, if, if you are designing your account um, experience, if your assumption that going to design is that people want to be secure, you know, like they just, they just want to be absolutely secure, but then you just have a lot of extra steps for people to, to just log in. But then you find a lot of people abandon, like they don't want to sign in with your accounts. And then, then you're just frustrated. And like, why you see the value, but people don't see the value. And then if you do research, you find out people actually prioritize um, convenience over security. They want to, they are willing to uh, sacrifice um, security um, just for convenience. And they just want to, you know, make their experience, um, you know, easier and then just spend less time in this. So then, you know, like this is what I'm aiming to. So you switch your direction based on that. So I think this is to say like research is the value is, is there and you cannot just escape and skip um, this step and then you have to repeat somehow. And then beyond product development is that a lot of times like, you know, business may make decisions, um, you know, without looking into uh, things and they will just say like, oh, of course, you know, you show me this research. There's nothing that I don't know. <laughs> so like this attitude uh, usually means that they are just overconfident about what they know. And then they, they are all, always like uh, influenced by this positivist thinking because they say, they think like, oh, something like we're looking at the numbers, it looks good, it must work. So, and then they will just go with that. But then I think that's usually a very dangerous area because when you think about that, it's, it's, it's working, it's, it's only showing us it has worked, but we don't know in the future you know, it will work or not. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times the companies are obsessed with oh, let's just uh, only study with our own customers or our own users. But they don't realize, like, you know, what they call as their own customer users, they don't own them, these people. And then people can just switch to, to a different company the next day. So, so that, that's, that's to say, like, business needs to be more um, open to this kind of discovery research, discovery work, to which are... Uh, looking at issues that are broader than the business itself sometimes, then, then you can catch up, right? So you cannot just, uh, focusing on, you know, your own like small customer like segments and then everything works well. And then we, without realizing customers are exposed to other options as well. When, once they find better one, they will just, uh, jump to the new opportunity. So ditching your own business, I think that's that's kind of a why I think you know research has ability to kind of predict the opportunities and to help um, business to align their goals, um, kind of future facing in this sense. Okay. Um, our, yeah, okay. these are some examples on top of my head. Yeah. 
And have you been doing anything, you know, in your role so far to kind of help, you know, various stakeholders around you see that perspective? Anything that you've learned that that works well? Yeah, I mean, um, there are several general things that I learned. Normally, like, first of all, it's hard to kind of <laughs> place researchers precisely, you know, where we are in the organization. I don't think um, many organizations know like how to, where to put their researchers, you know, on the organization charts. I think this is uh, this means that it, it is kind of a researcher's task to put our ourselves on the map, you know, um, I think as early as possible, because we cannot be involved much later. And because it's already too late. So I think then for, you know, US researchers, I think it's really helpful to always find opportunities to find partners, to find people who understand the research value, and then to, to be like allies, you know, to to, to kind of uh, put you to the, for example, the OKR, the objectives and key results, and to put research researchers on this kind of quarterly planning stage, so they know like this is the research um, researchers are there in the beginning. So I think doing this not only just increase our visibility, but also help improve the entire team. To function better, um, so that when they decide, you know, these are the goals, these are the outcomes we want to chase, and then you have a researcher input there. So I think that's very valuable. Um, other ways, like you can always, um, you know, in, in many opportunities, kind of to repeat some of the insights you find, because sometimes the research insights is not bound. To a specific project, it can be used in multiple areas, and then that's why you have to come up with very appealing stories and very short, like one minute, I tell a story and have impact to the people who are sitting there, and you know they may forget the next day, and then you just keep telling the same story, and in other meetings with the same person, you know maybe third time or fourth time your story sticks. And then becomes part of the decision making, and you know, from more talks, uh, kind of circulating these insights. I think it's fair to say, like you spend as much time socializing your research as you do the actual research. Uh, that's that's how you make make a um, impact directly, and then I think that's very rewarding in a way because. You know, I think you'll find out, find out besides you, a lot of people, they do not directly interact with users, you know, even though the user may be in their job title, but the way they do, they have assumptions. They will just follow some design principles or some sort of business principles. So their idea of users is very abstract. It's very, um, you know, with some certain assumptions attached. But you are the very, the most close to the users and the dynamic users, and you're closest to like, what's happening and what people are saying. So I think that's your advantage. So you should use that and then to help and to kind of advocate 
um, these ideas and these stories. And then, and then sometimes it's, it's really, it's also very useful to kind of um, show value against some quantitative data or metrics because if your goal is to improve your product or grow your business, it doesn't matter if it's only one person who dislike it. If there's one person who dislike it from our research, there definitely have to be a hundred, a thousand people just like this person experiencing this issue. So if you don't fix it because there's only one, you're basically ignoring it and it will just hurt your product or business. So I think this idea, um, you know, kind of research can always stay close to the source and then kind of help you to predict um, in the near future and what, what your product or business would um, be look like and would working towards. Great. Thanks. So maybe to, to sort of wrap up, is there anything that you're working on, you know, whatever it may be, or just something you're passionate about that you'd like to share with everybody? Um, yeah, I think I'm starting to like, um, attend this conference called Epic People. So mm-hmm. actually the, I've heard of it many times, many years, but this year was the first time I attended. It, it's, it was really, um, eye-opening and was really helpful and just uh, to see how um, versatile like researchers are and you know in so many different uh, fields I would encourage people who consider career transition just take opportunity to kind of check this out so uh, I think it will be a good opportunity for you to learn to understand you know like I've heard UX, but then a lot of people have heard. But then when you are graduate students or a PhD, um, so you do not necessarily understand how concretely how it works. So I think having this quick and you know very interactive um, conference really helped that. So I learned. I went there just after I made the transition. I just wish I had went. I had gone before Sorry. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. And um, as I frequently do, I'll link to Epic. Um, and so if anybody wanted to get in touch with you, you know, to learn about a little bit more about your story and what you're up to, or to maybe reach out for some advice, what's a good place for people to get in touch with you? Yeah. And um, I think I can be easily reached at uh, LinkedIn. You can just search my name and best buy. I think it was just show up. So I'm, um, happy to connect with you and then to um, have a chat with you. Wonderful. And I'll link to, to LinkedIn as well. So oh, thanks for coming on. I appreciate uh, talking with you. It was good to kind of uh, dig into you know your your career journey since it was so fresh and, and really hear all the details on kind of what you just went through this. So thanks for sharing all that. Thank you all for listening to the Anthro to UX podcast. To learn everything you need to break into UX, visit anthrotoux.com. There you will find all the podcast episodes and career coaching resources. Please like, share, and subscribe. See you next time.